Let us draw near. Biblical worship and the warming of the soul. This is part two. We started last week with this text from Isaiah chapter 6. The first eight verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. We talked about that event, the death of King Uzziah and the circumstances around it last week. You can get that online. At least pretty soon you'll be able to. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. One called out to another and said, is that on the screen? Read the quote with me, just this part. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now me. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. The house was filled with smoke. Sometimes you can see that on worship night. we got machines that... And I said, Woe is me. Does that sound like a happy worship experience? I said, Woe is me, for, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. This is interesting. For, he says, for, let me go on to that next slide so I can just kind of highlight that for you. He has this revelation. He's, He's lost. He's a man of unclean lips. And everybody around him, in the midst of a people with unclean lips. Woe is me. I'm wretched. I'm lost. I'm a sinner. And, and all the people in the sanctuary around me are sinners. When, when did he come to that realization? Well, for my eyes have seen the king. So it's, it's when he sees the king, when he sees the throne we talked about last week, the first response is, I, I shouldn't be here. <laughs> and that ought to be comforting for just about all of us who at one time or another in the Lord's house just felt like uh, maybe other people are close to God, but I just, I don't measure up. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin is atoned for. And and then... I heard the voice of the Lord. There's worship. I heard the voice of the Lord. 
in the midst of everything, all the things he sees, certainly enough to observe, I, I heard God. Does that happen in your heart? Do you go to church or do you hear the voice of the Lord? Saying, whom, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here am I. Send me. Let's pray. We feel like we're pulling back the veil on an event almost too big for us when sinful people meet a holy God. And so I pray that we will all have the experience of seeing God, of hearing God, of experiencing his cleansing touch and being commissioned by him. Help none of us to receive these thoughts so lightly that we aren't transformed by them. Help none of us to forget these thoughts until we've been affected by them, or this is all for naught. Come Holy Spirit, who can take external words, symbols on paper, sound waves in the air, and can plant things in hearts. Do your work, I pray in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Last week, we uh, considered two points from this stunning text. The first was that before anything else, worship is being freshly impacted by God's throne. My eyes have seen the king on his throne, high and lifted up. So Isaiah's experience, boy, it just doesn't have a cuddly bone in it. It's an experience stretching and stunning with God's authority, his right to command, his right to rule. So nothing else is allowed to compete with the rule of God. Isaiah's assignment, as the text wraps up, is going to be anything but pleasant. He has to deliver a message of God's coming wrath. Yes, it's in there. His coming wrath and judgment. And, and let me tell you something. People didn't like that picture of God then any more than they like it now. There's not a bone in Isaiah's body that's naturally inclined to obey this king on the throne, but that's all irrelevant. Isaiah knows instantly his own wishes don't enter into the picture, his preferences, his tastes. That's why God's throne is described in that first verse, very stark simplicity, just high and lifted up. What that means is there's nothing above it. The second point we studied was the need for diligence in worship. In verses 2, 3, and 4, we noted the repetition of the expressions of these angelic beings the way they, verse 3, they, they called out to each other. They're not speaking to the one on the throne at all. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So 
these unfallen created beings. They're, they're uh, unceasing in the way they dismantle pride that cover their faces. That's so important. Because of my natural love for place and independence, because that never totally fades, I must continually and deliberately... That's the repetition. Holy, holy, holy. It's three. It could have been 50. I have to continuously and deliberately bow before this throne of God. Once in a while, won't cut it. Slopping around to church once a month, that's going to have a deep detrimental effect on your soul, and you need to wake up to that. Today we're going to consider points three and four, okay? So the numbering, this is point number three. Scriptural worship is a purifying agent in our lives. The whole process is pretty graphic. And the terms are graphic because, because we're being reminded, even under the Old Covenant, long before the revelation of the cross, we're being reminded that there's no gentle path to the cleansing of sin. Isaiah can't, Isaiah can't just reform himself. I'm going to be a better person. You know, I really ought to quit smoking. I drink too much. You know, I really ought to... That's not what this is about. He can't reform himself. He can't grow out of his sin. That's what those verses 5, 6, and 7 are such a graphic picture of. Woe is me. I'm, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Now, Isaiah, Isaiah sees this. Like, you're sitting at your table on your deck. It's a beautiful, sunny summer day. And as you're sitting there, you're reading a book. Your wife comes out. She walks over. Maybe you still have the barbecue. With, you're either uh, old-fashioned or you're a purist. And you've got the coals, that kind of barbecue, not the propane thing with the switch. And your wife comes out, and she walks over to the the barbecue and you're looking at her and you're thinking what is she doing because we're done eating and she takes tongs and she gets a coal and you can see this thing and it's red hot and she starts walking at you (laughs) Do, do you sense the uneasiness just a wee bit and this is this is he sees this angelic being with tongs taking a coal off the altar, flying to me. This is not a blessing experience. It's a frightful one. Having in his hand, verse 6, burning coal that he had taken with tongs, he can't even touch it, from the altar, and he, he touched my mouth with it. And he 
said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. You get this picture of Jesus saying, If your right hand offends you, chop it off. It's the same kind of imagery. I think it's important to point something out for the rest of us here. Isaiah is no spiritual slouch. Isaiah is a holy man. He's a prophet, called of God. He's going to write a book of the Bible. But for all of that, maybe because all of that, I'm comforted. I love what we read next, how, how Isaiah felt keenly unworthy before God. The text says in Isaiah's own carefully chosen words, felt unclean. He didn't feel it before. It's when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He, he, I feel dirty. I feel dirty before this God. He, he felt his uncleanness precisely when he began to see this vision of God. That's what good worship does. Can you relate to that? The more I think about it, the more I'm convinced there's, there's, a, there's a good sense of feeling unclean and there's a bad sense of feeling unclean. And Christians must never confuse the two if you've never been told this before. The bad sense is when I feel unclean because I don't believe that the blood of Jesus, God's Son, can actually reach a person like me. I, I had an abortion. I strugg struggle with same-sex desires. I gamble. I watch pornography. There's nothing... This might work for other people, but not me. That, of course, it sounds like humility, but what it really is is unbelief. I don't honor God by minimizing the provision he has made for my cleansing through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. But there's also a good kind of unclean, a sense of unclean doesn't stem from unbelief, doesn't stem from any doubting of God's gracious provision in Christ, but there is and should be this constant awareness of, there's more. I'm, I'm not there yet in terms of my pursuit, the upward call in Christ, a constant reliance, a constant awareness of fresh grace daily. His mercies are new every morning, and it's good because I wouldn't last this day unless his mercies were new this morning. And I've been a Christian for 56 years. But I wouldn't have made it here spiritually without his grace today. I think there's a sense in which you and I should still feel incomplete in terms of all that God has. Some kind of holy restlessness. That's the good kind of unclean. Paul talks about it. These are striking verses that people just 
trip over so quickly. Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained or I'm already perfect. I press on to make it my own. Why do you do that, Paul? Are you just unsure of your salvation? No, because, that's the link, connector words are so important in the Bible. Words like therefore, because. Because, he's positive about this, Christ has has made me his own. Do you see the paradox there? I haven't obtained this, he says. It's not because I have any doubts about my salvation. Christ has made me his own. But I haven't, boy, there's so much more. I have to obtain so much more. That's the Apostle Paul. If you're like Paul or Isaiah... You constantly feel the need for fresh cleansing. You you want fresh grace. You want God's work going deeper. Let me tell you the difference. Let me tell you the difference between people who have a date they can pin their conversion to and people who walk in the Spirit. And the difference is These people are constantly looking back. That's where I was saved. Yes, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, Pastor Don. November 1978. Praise God, you saved me. And that's good. Walking in the Spirit is, God, what are you saying to me today? What what part of my life grieves you the most? Because I I cannot live with grieving you. I can live with less money. I can live without a lot of things. But I can't live grieving you. That's what Paul means when he says, I press on. Christ has taken hold of me. I have no doubt. There's no lack of assurance. But I still haven't possessed it yet. Find your hunger for deliverance from every trace of self. You find that turning into an obsession the more you live by the throne of God in worship. Here's what I see in this passage from Isaiah. Draw near to God. Focus on his rule. We talked about that his throne, his kingship. Then persist, persist in mindful, passionate worship. Worship is not trancing out. Worship is thinking deep. And then here's what should happen almost automatically. God will be faithful to make me aware of the points of need in my life. It simply has to happen. It's only natural that the closer I get to the light of God's blazing holiness the more light, the light of his very being will illumine the ugliness of self and pride, materialism, laziness, indifference to spiritual things. 
So it's not a lack of assurance. It's not unbelief. It's, it's the devotion of a new heart. Longing to go deeper and deeper into expressing Christ in every part of life. And there's a beautiful side to this whole truth. God doesn't show any of us these things. Isaiah, I'm a man of unclean lips. I like that. There are all sorts of Christians who can tell you what's wrong with the church they attend. Like it's the, the second part we have down pat. I'm a really godly guy, but I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. You should see them. They're behind me. They sit in front of me. You notice that's not where he starts. <laughs> what I'm most aware of is I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. These people are sinners too, but they pale in significance to my unclean lips. But God doesn't show Isaiah this to destroy him. And he doesn't show you those things in a church service like this to destroy you, but, but to deliver. It's always this beautiful surprise. You wouldn't think a burning coal could do that. You would think all a burning coal can do is really hurt. And it must have been a comforting word, eh, is that angelic being came and touched his lips with this burning coal and instead of saying there you're doomed said your guilt is taken away why, why does God deal with us about our sins in a place like this I hope he does does he do it so I can go you know go ahead Pastor Don I deserve it. just beat on me go ahead just beat on me go home from church I never thought it was perfect, but boy, I never, never realized I was this much of a mess. Thanks. Thanks for that morning service, Pastor Don. No. T your guilt is taken away. You're forgiven. A new start. What would you think a burning red-hot coal would do? It should burn, it should blister, it should destroy tissue. You would think that experience would ruin you, but it's never the case with God's work in our worshiping lives. Just at the very point where you see yourself at your worst, that's just at that point where nothing of your own craftiness remains, none of your own excuses stand anymore, you just feel kind of that exposed with the ugliness of your sin. There, right at that point of greatest awareness of brokenness. I am undone. That's what he says in the old King James. Right at that point, wholeness, restoration, healing. But, but, it, but it can't happen lightly. Learn this lesson about worship. Learn it earlier rather than later. When you're in his presence, don't resist the exposure of your own weakness and sin. Don't fight tears of remorse or regret. Let them flow. 
You can open up before this king. He's there to free you. He's there to restore you. Why, why did the angelic being touch Isaiah's lips? Was he perfect in every other part of his being? Nope. The work came right at the point of Isaiah's confession. Right? God won't force this kind of spiritual work. It's where Isaiah says, I, it's my lips. I gossip. I slander. I say unkind things. I don't do it with words. I do it on, I do it on Twitter. It is, it, is, it is satanic the way Christian people will say things in social media about other people just because they aren't face-to-face with them. But I, my lips, words. I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips. There, that's where we'll work. The point of your confession, the point of your acknowledgement, the point of your humility, that's where miracles start. Labor in worship. Labor for the death of pretense. Point number four. We're almost done. Through worship comes fresh fire for ministry. It's in verses seven and eight. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. I love this. I heard the voice of the Lord. I heard the voice of the Lord. Saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Notice this. Voice of the Lord. Trinity. I said, here am I. Send me. Worship is always a doorway. Worship is always a doorway. It always leads into something else. Isaiah isn't just singing songs. He hears the voice of the Lord. I heard the Lord. God speaks. God deals with worshipers and no one else. Where does strength for ministry come from? What is it that fuels service for the Lord? Of course, there needs to be knowledge, needs to be understanding. Paul talks about the uselessness of faith and zeal. He says when it's not accompanied with understanding. Well, there needs to be training for serving the Lord. Anything you and I do for the Lord should be sharpened by the best efforts we can produce, the best experience we can glean from others. There's also the need for practice. Whether you preach, whether you usher, whether you sing or play, you'll improve as you use the abilities and talents God gives. All sorts of people, all sorts of people drop out of ministry, never staying with it long enough to find freedom in what they do. It's just hard at the beginning and they quit. But there's something else on top of all those things that I mentioned. When we come before the Lord in worship, worship involves hearing. It's not just expressing. 
you come to the throne of God. You come with diligence. You come with the fellowship of other worshipers. You, you need to have him do something to revive and cleanse your soul. There's one thing I've learned. There's one thing I've learned in seasons when I, I tire or fatigue or get frustrated times of stress. I've learned that beyond anything I can accumulate of my own expertise or skill, I've learned that worship quickens ministry. Worship quickens ministry. It has nothing to do with just an emotional tickle or a good time or a cool band. but it adds God's fire to everything else we bring with our own preparation before the Lord. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. We all know life is demanding. Churches are busy. Spiritual life is demanding. So we mustn't glamorize this text as I wrap up. We used to sing the chorus. We don't sing it anymore. It was kind of a loose paraphrase of these words, and we would sing, usually on World Impact Sunday back in the early 90s, Here am I, remember? Send me to the nations as an ambassador for you. But the plain fact of this text is God was calling Isaiah to do the last thing in the world he would ever want to do. Sometimes Sometimes God has a nasty habit of doing that. And you won't always respond favorably to the call of God without the preparation and the cleansing of your heart in worship. Worship gets you ready for God's call. Isaiah needed this vision. Why did God reveal himself to Isaiah like this? He didn't do it for everybody. Probably hasn't done it for you. Why does Isaiah get this vision? Why does he get this manifestation of the throne of God and his cleansing power and his majesty and his calling? Well, you read the last part of the chapter. We didn't go over it. God was calling Isaiah to pronounce judgment, irreversible judgment on his own people. And Isaiah knows what anybody in ministry knows. It is way easier. It is way easier to go and take God's message to the lost and unbelieving than to take God's message of rebuke to Christians. Way easier. But Isaiah has to go to God's own people. And nobody's going to embrace a call like that unless it comes clearly from a throne. And so God at this particular moment actually shows Isaiah the throne. He can't get it out of his head. But there's still a precious lesson here. Whatever God calls you to do, whatever God calls you to do, worship will prepare you for doing it, and worship is the context in which the call will deepen. So, this place is the context of biblical worship on a totally different footing than we're usually accustomed to thinking. 
It really isn't about feeling blessed, though there are times of great blessing and refreshing. I wouldn't deny it. But worship is primarily about establishing availability, a listening ear, a responsive heart before God. Because worship reveals, first of all, the throne. And after the throne is revealed, isn't it interesting... Is it, is it because God wants to show Isaiah not merely his throne, his authority? Is it because God in his mercy wants to actually show Isaiah how to respond to his throne? Because that's the only reason I can think of why God would include in the vision these angelic beings who all they can do before the throne of God is this. No arguing before the throne of God, right? Right? There are no surveys before the throne of God. There is no political correctness before the throne of God. There is no bowing to the desires of culture before the throne of God. What is there? There's this. So that's what worship is. That's what worship is. That's what worship does. Stay before the throne of God, church. Stay before the throne of God. Maintaining a posture of worship isn't a charismatic thing. It's not a Pentecostal thing. It's a Bible thing. It's a God thing. Set your heart on worshiping the King. Let worship sort of bathe your being in the throne of God and His rule over your life and His cleansing grace wherever anything is confessed in terms of weakness. Let worship deepen your availability. Here am I, Lord. Here am I. And everyone said? Let's pray.